0: Hello, everyone. My name is Weston Ackmore from BlockWorks Macro in Tokyo. It is Thursday, April 27th, 2023 at Asia Markets Close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. And we are nearing the end of Bank of Japan week. Uh, We are on the eve of Bank of Japan Governor Ueda's very first policy decision and press conference tomorrow, Friday. And so today, we will try our best to answer the question... What will the Bank of Japan do tomorrow and why? So I will run you through my thinking, uh, as I have been throughout the week in these prior episodes. And ultimately, I'll be making the case for the consensus of no policy change, as well as the one for a policy shock, as well as the potential for a policy review to be announced and what kind of implications, market implications that will have. Okay, so, so far this week... We've discussed the Bank of Japan through various angles. You know what the kind of potential risk overhang from the B- Bank of Japan to global markets is. What the big picture of the Bank of Japan policy looks like over, you know, a longer term horizon. Um, we also talked about kind of the history of how yield curve control trading bans were established and you know many other topics. Right. And if you missed any of that, just go back and see uh, any of the previous episodes from this week, uh, this Bank of Japan week. And so for today. I want to zoom back into the here now, and I want to just take a look at what the snapshot of the environment looks like as we head into the the BoJ policy decision. Take a look at kind of consensus opinion and where that is, and what the macro backdrop reality is relative to the kind of overall consensus. Um, and with all of that, you know, including what I've covered uh, this week, all in aggregate, that's what we'll base attempting to answer the question of what will the bank of japan do or not do and why as governor ueda really takes the helm starting tomorrow as his first real day on the job but first big announcement bank of japan governor kazuo ueda watches market depth now why do i say this well in the previous episode i talked about Japan's astronomic and unsustainable debt levels, national debt levels, and the debt burden that's only going to grow due to the demographic structure of Japan. Um, and that without the Bank of Japan buying up half of debt outstanding and artificially pinning yields down to near zero levels for the other half of JDBs that, that, they, that they have yet to acquire, if not for that, then Japan would not be able to exist or operate as a normal society. Um, or at least not as the society that we know of as today, which is a very, very lovely one. Uh, and therefore, in the grand scheme of the sort of big picture, the Bank of Japan and the government cannot afford borrowing costs to go higher in Japan. Okay, so any attempts to normalize policy would ultimately revert back to some form of uh, JGB purchasing by the, by the Bank of Japan be it yield curve control or something else, right? So that's what I said uh, the last episode. Well, after saying that, Governor Ueda in Parliament uh, just yesterday, when answering a question to the Finance and Monetary Affairs Committee, you know, he was asked about kind of the fiscal impact of raising interest rates, and Governor Ueda said that consideration for the cost of interest payments on government bonds will not prevent us from carrying out necessary policies. Um, And... He went on further to explain that you know monetary easing policy is conducted for the policy objective of achieving price stability. And it's not intended for you know supporting fiscal financing and that this point is extremely important that and in order to have confidence maintained you know in the, the public finance you know structure and integrity, um, as well as that of monetary policy. But kidding aside, Regarding Ueda's answer on not taking, you know, government's interest costs into consideration or, or rather, you know, the this whole like we will do our job for price stability management regardless, right? This isn't any sort of big breakthrough statement or anything like that, okay? This is exactly and only what you would expect to hear um, regardless of who it is and under what circumstances um, in terms of central bank, you know, public stance, right? I actually think that Governor Ueda is being sincere when he says this, that the BOJ isn't here to fund the government's fiscal spending and to bail out like this or enable this like deadbeat elected officials who just run up record deficit after record deficit. But again, it doesn't really matter if he's being sincere about this or not, um, because you're going to get the same response either way. It's like asking someone if they're a good liar. right? Are you a good liar? If they're not, they'll say no. And if they are, they'll say no all the same. And so um, no, I'm not calling Governor Ueda a liar. I'm just using an analogy. But if you ask a central banker if they're monetizing government debt or funding fiscal spending, you're going to get the same response of, of course we're not. We're an independent body tasked with price stabilization, um, and fiscal matters are, you know, matters for those of the government, and probably more vociferously from those who, are, <laughs> who do believe that they are uh, actually funding the government. Um and also again obviously I'm not joking about them watching market depth but the reason that uh the timing of this the reason that this came is because one day prior so on Tuesday of this week Japan Finance Minister Suzuki Suzuki came out and said that you know in the future there there may be some movements in Japan's monetary policy and that would pose numerous obstacles in maintaining steady debt issuance. Okay, and so hence he was asked the following day in Parliament about, um, you know, about the Bank of Japan uh, and funding the government. But the real reason that Ueda's response, let alone his sincerity or otherwise, the real reason that it really doesn't matter is because, as I said in my previous episode, of course the Bank of Japan is funding the Japanese government. Directly, indirectly, whatever. Okay. A small child can see that the central bank is setting the price at which the government can borrow it, and then it buys up massive um, and growing qu- quantities and piles of this very government debt, such that it owns half of government debt outstanding, it owns 100% or more of certain issues, uh, issuances of, of government debt, and such that the most indebted country in the world gets to borrow funds for a decade out at half a percent, while the risk-free United States government has to pay some 400 basis points or more to borrow for like a month out. Okay? This is a video graphic from NHK, Public Broadcasting. And it just shows JGB issuance in yen. And then following that, that's BOJ buying of JGBs. Notional size. Okay? So, uh, are government spending and Bank of Japan purchasing of government debt, are, are they perhaps interrelated? Yeah, they are. Okay. Now, On to the big question. What will the Bank of Japan do tomorrow for the April 2023 Bank of Japan meeting? Governor Ueda's very first. Or, another way to put it, the first without Governor Kuroda in a decade. So, if we just look at, uh, according to the most recent Bloomberg survey, of the 47 economists uh, surveyed at financial institutions, 41 out of the 47... OK, or just about 90 percent expect no change at this upcoming meeting tomorrow. And five are expecting a policy tweak for tomorrow. And I actually put out my own Twitter poll um, to my followers on Twitter asking the same thing. Um, and of the 650 or so people who participated, and thank you for to all those who did participate, um, but of my poll, basically 68% said no change for tomorrow versus 32% who expect a policy change in some form tomorrow. Okay, So that's about a 2 to 1 ratio for no change as opposed to the 9 to 1 you know, ratio for Wall Street estimates. I found that gap to be uh, very interesting. Um, but now what if we were to ask the Bank of Japan itself this question of what are you going to do? Um, at the April Bank Be- Japan meeting, so as of the last forty-eight hours or so, okay, the, the latest that we have, Governor Ueda's publicly stated stance, which he said in in Parliament, is that the most appropriate policy for now is to maintain current yield curve control and easing, and that tightening policy could have a net negative you know outcome at this moment, and then Ueda has also stated. Um, not just this week, but also on a number of occasions previously that a policy review would be in order. And that is the most likely outcome for the April Bank of Japan. No policy change and the announcement of a policy review to take place. But most likely is by no means like a lock, okay? Because I think that there's absolute validity in taking a Bank of Japan shock into serious consideration for tomorrow as well. But of the two, the more likely outcome, in my view, is for no policy change and a policy review of some sort to be rolled out. And the reason that I'm saying this, that, you know, this most likely outcome for the April BOJ, is not because that's what Governor Ueda is saying. Frankly, until I get to know this guy, right, or at, at the very least, until we get at least one policy meeting and press conference on on the table, right? Until then, I don't really care what Ueda is saying. Okay, or to rephrase, I care what his public stances and what he's saying, but I don't too much. I, I don't put too much, you know, weight or any weighting into believing or not believing his words. Because again, none of us know this guy in this role, so like I'm not taking anything that he says into you know um, serious weighting and um, consideration. Um, that's going to obviously change over time once we get to know him. Right now, he's just a complete enigma. So let's just b- break down why this no policy change outcome is the most likely one and how I arrived at that. Okay, And again, it has nothing to do with Governor Ueda's, what what he's saying. Okay, This is exactly how I arrived at this conclusion. First, let's take a look at the reasons for why people who say that there would or should be a policy change, um, why they are saying so. Okay. So those who are calling for an end to yield curve control, um, be it for tomorrow or at some point this year, you know, in, in June, as, the, you know, consensus, most of the consensus is saying. Right. Um, but for, for the vast majority of those who are calling for an end to yield curve control, um, they by and large cite one or more of the following sort of common reasons. OK. Number one, inflation is rising in Japan and is currently well above the Bank of Japan target of 2% CPI. Number two, the Bank of Japan must get in line with the rest of the world, who has been on rate hiking and policy tightening cycle for well over a year now. And then number three, current yield curve curve control uh, is unsustainable. Okay, so let's just go through each of those. So regarding inflation, inflation is finally here in Japan. Is the argument, and the, and it's well above that two percent target, and so no, so the easing policy is no longer appropriate because Bank of Japan has not only met but far exceeded its goals, and it's running the economy hot. Um, first of all, as I've said ad, ad nauseum, the Bank of Japan at the moment is not setting their policy in accordance with the recent rise in CPI in Japan, and the December yield curve control shock. Was also very much not due to inflation in Japan, but rather that was an attempt to fix market functioning or dysfunctioning. Okay, but let's just entertain this notion of like inflation is here in Japan and this CPI is well above the BOJ's 2% target and therefore the BOJ must act. Okay, well, that's not how the Bank of Japan sees it. Bank of Japan has an outlook that has inflation falling to back below 2% by year end. So even if they are basing it on inflation, they're not going to be doing anything because their outlook is for inflation to fall below their 2% target by year end. And more importantly, when BOJ is saying 2% CPI, what they mean is sustained 2% CPI over time driven by domestic consumer demand and wage inflation as opposed to global inflation for which Japan's CPI is just getting swept up in and is lagging, you know, other peer economies by far, which means that by definition, the Bank of Japan won't act because it first needs to be observed over time to determine whether or not to act. And we're currently in that long observation period now. Note that also tomorrow's Bank of Japan meeting will release BOJ's fiscal 2025 uh, CPI outlook for the first time, and this may very well be a projection north of two percent. And markets may even react on this, right? If they see that, should that be the case? But near-term Bank Japan policy itself won't be set to, to a you know two-year-out estimate, um, and that Bank of Japan estimate itself is also based on the Bank of Japan continuing easing policy as is until then okay so if the Bank of Japan removes policy then that fresh 2025 outlook outlook uh, estimate that they just put out would no longer be valid because conditions have changed and then final point on inflation in Bank of Japan yes prices in Japan are rising like at 40-year highs but what does that have to do with the Bank of Japan Because while headline core and core-core CPI in Japan may be on the rise and well above the 2% target, inflation in Japan that's currently underway is not due to the Bank of Japan's efforts, right? CPI in Japan remained largely unmoved despite years and years of aggressive, extremely aggressive monetary easing. So Japan inflation and then Japan monetary policy are at best detached. So therefore, how would Bank of Japan taking steps to unwind easy monetary policy have any effect on curbing upside in consumer prices? Some of the voices who have long been critical of the ineffectiveness of crew economics in achieving its CPI goals, like uh, over the you know the, the past several years, some of those voices are now the very same voices saying the BOJ must change policy according you know accordingly with rising CPI. So does the Bank of Japan policy have impact on consumer prices or does it not, right? And here's the latest from Governor Ueda in Parliament. Quote, generally speaking, central banks would want to curb it when inflation is rising. Curb, easy policy, when inflation is rising. That said, you do not want to tighten policy considering the negative impact of cost-push inflation on the economy. It's extremely difficult to decide where to stand to keep a balance. That is Governor Ueda yesterday. Okay, so that's the inflation argument that we can cross off a list as to why they will uh, make a policy change tomorrow. Okay, the next one, right? Bank of Japan must get in line with the rest of the world. This is like my favorite one. And by favorite, I mean, this is the stupidest one that I hear all the time. Okay. Bank of Japan policy must get, you know, in line with the rest of the world. What d- Does it? why just to be in this club okay so he- here's what people seem to miss the bank of japan did not go rogue as the loan outlier starting in 2022 starting last year it's been this rogue loan outlier you know all along well before 2022 well before yield curve control was even introduced right it's it's just that the boj's like independent of the rest of the world, the BOJ's independent easing efforts has just been buried amongst the rest of the developed economies, you know, respective easing and low rate policies. And then it was just simply revealed in 2022 when pure central banks began rapidly um, t- tightening policy. So if you see this chart of US Fed funds rate versus the Japan policy rate, the, JGB, uh, the bank Japan policy rate. Just If you just look at the window of time since yield curve control is rolled out, okay, so that's been September of 2016, to this day, okay, in which yield curve control has just r- remained in existence, the Fed has hiked rates, cut rates, kept rates at the zero bound, and then hiked rates again, and now potentially coming to the end of this latest hiking cycle. And the Bank of Japan, throughout all of that, just remained completely unchanged on yield curve control policy, throughout all of that. Okay, so this whole Japan was get in line with the rest of the world. No, it doesn't. It never had been in line with the rest of the world, and it's not about to start now. Um, that's what makes the Bank of Japan an incredibly interesting and very tradable central bank because of the relative differences. Then the other argument of current yield curve control policy is unsustainable. Okay, what does unsustainable mean? This is an arbitrary notion that is extremely subjective. Now let me be absolutely clear i do not believe that what the bank of japan is currently doing is sustainable forever okay i don't think that you can just continue to endlessly print you know money and buy things buy financial assets um you know to to no end i think that that is not sustainable however In terms of when people are saying, like, this is unsustainable and therefore this moment in time is when they will draw the line, that is completely arbitrary. What's to say that something is sustainable or unsustainable? You're looking at the Bank of Japan doing extremely radical things and saying this is extremely radical. Nobody's ever done this before. Therefore, it's unsustainable. The Bank of Japan is, again, for the six millionth time, has always been on the forefront of being a weird, radical policy experimentation leader. So everything that the Bank of Japan does is radical, is experimental, and is unsustainable. Okay? But I've been hearing this unsustainable thing since even before Kuroda, really. Um, and we've heard about unsustainability in terms of QE from the Fed or from the ECB or from all the other central banks as well. And guess what? They've all sustained, especially the Bank of Japan, for the past decade. Sustains. Okay? So... Don't just use some random arbitrary you know, uh, metric that you've just kind of assigned yourself. And you have to look at it from the perspective of what the Bank of Japan feels is sustainable or not sustainable. And what's more importantly measurable and unsustainable is Japan's government debt levels and its demographic picture. Those are unsustainable. So it is my view, and it is my view that the Bank of Japan also shares this view, that the Bank of Japan will do the theoretical unsustainable in order to support the actual unsustainable. So we can cross that off the list too. So why won't BOJ change policy tomorrow? Because we can just cross off all that off the list. The inflation, the alignment with global policy, and the unsustainability reasons that, that people are giving for the reasons why they must or why they will or why they should. However, here's the one thing that actually does matter to Bank of Japan policy, change or no change, okay? And that may justify a yield curve control change in the immediate term for a so-called policy shock, and that would be this matter of market functionality. Market functionality or market dysfunction is or was the reason for the bank of japan to widen yield curve control trading bans in december of 2022 to everyone's shock market functioning is basically observed by the bank of japan as an, it's an aggregate of a number of measures um but one of the foremost if not the most the foremost is the shape of the jgb yield curve okay so the jgb yield curve has b- been a a very 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 messed up yield curve And we're not talking about something like the U.S. Treasury yield curve, you know, deep, deep inversion or anything like that. We're talking about basically due to the Bank of Japan's concentrated buying of JGBs, specifically at the 10-year maturity, um, as yield curve control targets the 10-year yield um, to pin down at around zero. Because of that, there's been this infamous kink that formed in the 10-year tenor of the entire JGB yield curve. Where ten-year JGB yields have like this dip downwards, and the other tenors before and after it, right? So eight and nine-year JGBs were not only higher than the ten-year JGB yields, but they were even higher than the yield curve control cap. Okay, so it it, it makes absolutely no sense, and it's a completely distorted uh, yield curve that needed to be addressed because it was creating a whole bunch of market havoc and market dysfunction so this is what the bank of japan attempted to fix in december they thought that if they lift the 10-year yield cap on yield curve control then that would just smooth the kink out right smoothen out the yield curve um so again it was done there's an adjustment that was done for the purposes of market functionality but what was what happened what was the result well it backfired that kink worsened it deepened even more even though that cap on yields was lifted higher because when the bank of japan moved yield curve control bands higher in came the massive massive speculation and flows that this was the end of bank of japan easing this is the end of an era this is the beginning of a new era this is the world's late last qe holdout that has finally caved. And we are now in a tightening cycle for, for Japan, and the era of, you know, free money is now over. And as such, the entire entire JGB yield curve shifted higher, much higher. And so from the December 2022 Bank of Japan shock beating until the very next January 2023 beating, in between that short window of time, the BOJ basically ended up in the most severe bloody knuckle fist fight with markets ever conducting fixed rate op after fixed rate op day after day to you know buy unlimited JGBs day after day after day to defend this new yield curve control cap. Um, And that's the time when the Bank of Japan did an insane amount of QE. Basically about in dollar notional terms about $180 billion worth of QE was done. To put that into context That is 50% more QE than the Fed was doing at its peak QE of 120 billion per month. However, the only difference is, while the Fed was doing 120 billion per month at its peak, the BOJ did 50% more of that, and the bulk of which was done in the span of about four days. It's really actually the span of about two days. Very insane. Um, Just setting all-time record highs, you know, in terms of the amount of JGB buying that the Bank of Japan was doing, as well as foreigners breaking their own records for the amount of JGB selling that was, was, you know, happening. And these all-time record highs in QE were set in January of 2023, well into a global tightening cycle, okay? Now, why was this happening? Because the Bank of Japan had to hold its ground at any cost to state through its actions loud and clear that markets don't dictate Bank of Japan policy. The Bank of Japan decides Bank of Japan policy. That's what the message was. That's what the action was to back the message. And we'll get back to this notion in a moment. Okay, But just back to the shape of this JDB curve. And, you know, the reason for the yield curve control changed from December. Okay, so that's what we should be looking at. Not CPI, not they have to because the rest of the world is not this is unsustainable and therefore they need to give up on it. Let's look at the actual reason. This is the actual reason. So how does the shape of the yield curve look now as we head into this meeting? Well, it appears that the JGB curve has actually smoothed back back out and that kink in that 10 year tenor is now gone. Right? There's no weird inversions. There's no 9s, 10s inversion. And this is thanks to the global collapse in front-end yields that did this smoothing out for it. However, as listeners and watchers of Market Depth know, um, we can also argue that this may have very well been of the BOJ's doing as well, this collapse in front-end yields, um, as I talked about in many previous episodes. So this is what matters most for me um, and my read on the Bank of Japan action or inaction for tomorrow and the case for a potential shock for tomorrow as well. So let's now talk about, finally, let's wrap up with the policy shock um, sort of case. Okay, So on one hand, we have no policy change, right? Because yield curve shape is now restored and one of the Bank of Japan's stated purposes for aiming to restore the market functioning and restore like the smoothing out of the yield curve was to improve the efficacy of the Bank of Japan's continued easing. They did so, again, This was that was not a tightening measure in December. They did that in order to improve the efic- efficacy of BOJ's continued easing. Okay, so you have that, as well as CPI that has leveled off, Um, you know, the last two readings. And so optically... They don't have to respond with tightening policy, and they could justify continued easing. Okay, so that's the the kind of the the case for the likely scenario of uh, no change for tomorrow. And also, if you want to take Governor Ueda's you know public messaging into account as well, this is explicitly what he's saying as well. However, on the other hand, um, as I've talked about, the BOJ never buckling to market pressures, right? and never buckling because of market pressures or any external pressures that matter, right? Because of that, that the BOJ does follow, now would be the window of time in which they can do things on their own terms, okay? So let's talk about this policy shock aspect for a second. So I've said this before um, and I'll say it again, but when it comes to monetary policy at the Bank of Japan currently, the most important figure at the Bank of Japan is not ueda-san the most important figure is deputy governor uchida okay and of the three that were recently nominated so basically you have the bank japan governor and then you have two deputy governors right therefore making it irrelevant what his experience is because this is completely different times but uchida has been around for even well before before um kuroda's era He was basically the executive director of monetary affairs, okay? That means that he is the actual policy designer. QQE 1 and 2, negative interest rates, yield curve control, fixed rate operations, fund supply operations, all of that, that's him. So... Nikkei had described him as having a reputation for designing systems quickly and in detail based on decisions of BOJ's upper management and changing circumstances. Okay, So he's a very nimble person when it comes to uh, making policies, and now he's in even more of an elevated role and a role in which Governor Wade himself has said many times publicly in parliamentary hearings and otherwise that he's going to be relying heavily upon uh, Uchida's expertise not just in terms of crafting and sort of amending the policies themselves right but the execution and the me- the mechanics of of the poli- of uh JGB buying right which is getting increasingly complex uchida is the one uh, at the head of the monetary affairs department previously um th- throughout the Kuroda decade that w- would oversee all of that the actual execution of the policy itself so the way in which i describe Deputy Governor Uchida is basically that he is a hybrid portfolio manager, he's a market maker, he's a multi-party risk manager, and he's also a non-economic policy actor all in one. And, then, and there's no such position on earth that exists uh, outside of that. Um, and so he is always going to be the one to really watch, even though obviously he's not going to be in the public spotlight, because that is the role of what the face of you know, the BOJ governor is. Um, The reason I bring up Uchida and this policy shock is because he's the one who's been around and designed and, you know, almost kind of guided Kuroda throughout all of his policy shocks. That guy still remains. That element still remains. Just because Kuroda's gone doesn't mean that we're in an era of, you know, no more Kuroda, you know, Kuroda shocks happening or anything like that. No, there is still very much that element that... That is even more influential now than it was during the the uh, Kuroda era. So, if this were, let's say, Governor Kuroda still around, okay, um, this would be a time in which I would expect Governor Kuroda to announce some sort of policy change, yield curve, curve control bands to be widened, or something completely different. But not squander this opportunity with just another no change, because who knows down the line what the market situation is going to be. You could see, you know, yields. Uh, globally resurging for whatever reason, I don't care what the reason is, and the Bank of Japan having to just battle day in and day out again, once again, um, to protect the upper limit of yield curve control bands. So if you want to widen the bands, now would be the time to do it, right? there's the same way that I've argued that you, the time in which you might see a yield curve control band widening is should yields actually start to plummet and then let's say JGB 10-year yields were back at the zero bound where they were, you know, just a little over a year ago. They're actually almost negative, um, yielding negative in December of 2021, right? Let's say that, you know, the 10-year like, JGB yields were back to that range. Then they could potentially widen the bands and frame it as we're doing it for the downside to to widen the, the lower band for that purpose, right? And frame it that way. And then lastly, on Deputy Governor Uchida, when he was getting confirmed in Parliament, and then actually afterwards as well, he said publicly that the nature of yield curve control is such that if you were to make a change, it would have to be by surprise. You cannot guide markets ahead for it, because if you do that— then markets are going to front run the Bank of Japan, and they're going to have to be battling markets yet again in fixed rate op after fixed rate op, buying unlimited amount of JGBs because the markets are going to start to price in this upward shift in yield curve control. And so, therefore, it can't there can't be any warning beforehand; it has to be done by shock. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to say because if you then shock the markets, you're going to have to fight markets all the same. Before, after, what really is the difference, right? But uh, look, I'm not, the, I'm not the deputy governor. That's what the deputy governor said said publicly. And the reason that I believe him when he says this, right, is because if he's not being sincere, why, why else would you say that, right? Like, say what uh, Governor Ueda has currently been doing in terms of guiding markets for, we're going to maintain easy monetary policy, we're going to maintain yield curve control as it is, You know, uh, unlimited buying of JGBs, if necessary, and all that kind of thing. That is not how you guide markets to begin a tightening cycle, right? So the only reason that Uchida would say this, say that, like, we we would have to uh, shock markets in order to affect any sort of yield curve control change, the only reason he would say that is if it were true. So I believe him. And right now is when you could shock markets. Markets cannot be shocked by definition when there is a ton of pressure and speculation put on it. So that's sort of the case for the other side, right? For there to be a policy shock and a change, and you know uh, that that would come out of out of nowhere tomorrow. But of those two scenarios, it's my personal view that I'm in the camp of there will be no actual policy change uh rather than they're going to spring a you know a, a shock change to yield curve control or to just completely new policy altogether, um which is also very possible, right? But I'm it's not I'm not a 90-10 split the way that the Wall Street economists are. And I wouldn't necessarily even say that I'm, you know, the 65, 35 split that the Twitter poll is. I would say I'm 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 more so like a 55 55- 45 split right um to to that level i I, look and the reason is just just because i just don't know this guy i don't know governor ueda i don't know if he's doing all of this kuroda parroting so that he gets set up for this once once you know one shot only shock chance that he he gets, right? He only gets this one chance to do that, to make this first impression. There is no second chance at making a first impression. So if he maintains policy, he'll be, rightly or wrongly, he'll be seen as policy continuity. And if he doesn't want that, this is only one and only opportunity to do so. One other point of note, uh, we do have an FOMC meeting the very next week coming up, okay? So in terms of market reaction-wise, we have to keep that in mind. regardless of what happens, right? If the Bank of Japan does make a change or doesn't make a change or whatever it is, I I wouldn't read too deeply into the market reaction. First of all, don't ever, ever read deeply at all or read into any market reaction um, after the Bank of Japan policy statement comes out, which is like midday, you know, around before PM open usually, um, PM session open. Between that time and the governor's press conference, that price action in any market, be it dollar yen, be it stocks, be it you know JGB markets or U.S. Treasuries or whatever it is, it's not operating on full information. But even after the corona, or I'm sorry, the a press conference, which uh, ends around I think around probably five PM or so um, local time, even then I wouldn't necessarily put too much you know thought behind market reactions thereafter. Because of the looming FOMC meeting, which has increasingly, uh, the closer we get to it, the more uncertain it's become. Um, but there can be holdouts for that, right? So let's say you're trading dollar yen, USD JPY. Well, you got the JPY part of it of the policy, but what about the USD part of it, right? And so you're you might see you know kind of nothing happening, or whatever happening, whatever's happening, it might not be the full market reaction. All market reaction might come after Fed Chair Powell's press conference. Okay, so it's a very important th- thing to keep in mind that when the FOMC press conference is over, the market reaction you see thereafter may very well include an enormous amount of residual pent-up reaction that's been sitting there from the Bank of Japan policy that came out just, what, four or five trading days prior to. Okay? Okay. Okay, so that's it for me for today as we head into a very potentially critical day tomorrow. And thank you for watching Bank of Japan Week um, this, over the past several days. Uh, for those of you who, who haven't watched the episodes, make sure that you go back and watch them um, because each of them are very important. And I cover different things and different angles regarding the Bank of Japan that don't apply just specifically to this April meeting, but apply for BOJ meetings going forward for the foreseeable future. Um, for maybe four years going forward, right? Uh, but either way, I do appreciate you following along with me for this journey. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Uh, and you will hear from me again tomorrow after the of Japan Policy meeting. Um, on behalf of BlockWorks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. Thank you very much, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks.